Does anyone out there ever get a hankering for a really good piece of bread? Hello friends, and welcome to So Poetry. Um, this is episode whatever the hell number it is. I think six, maybe. Um, I mean, when you obviously when you look on, on the site, you will see that it has a number, but I, I don't know. I just checked, and I think the most recent one was five. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Happy New Year, peoples. Um, happy belated holidays as well. Um, I would like to start this episode off with a couple of apologies. Um, uh, sorry that it's going to be just me again. Um, holidays are tough times to get people to record. Um, although I do have an actual guest lined up for the next session, so that's good. Um, but yeah, December from like Thanksgiving to New Year's is really kind of like a, a no man's land as far as nailing down people for, uh, for stuff. Um, I also apologize for any coughing that ensues. Um, I had the flu a couple of weeks ago and I am over that, but <coughs> as you can hear, uh, there is still a lingering cough. Uh, I also apologize if I sound a little nasally or stopped up. Um, there is, again, due to the flu, um, some lingering nasal stuff as well. Um, yeah, so I haven't spoken or I haven't posted an episode in a while. Um, some stuff has happened since then. Um, both kind of mundane life stuff and some really neat things. Um, I have kind of a swath, sw swath, yeah, I get swath, of of topics that I'd like to talk about today. Um, this is either going to be just kind of a long episode, or I might break it up into into sections um, if I can pull that off with GarageBand. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure, so we'll just kind of see how it goes. Um, I've actually written some stuff out for this recording as well. Um, so I'm not entirely sure how long this episode as a whole will last, or if I break it up, how long the individual sections will be. Um, but I wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to try to make up for the lack of posting. Um, and I've, I've been thinking about this, all three of these topics, um, kind of, well, when I say thinking about, I don't mean actively thinking about, I mean that they've been kind of kicking around my subconscious and occasionally bubbling up. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess I'll just get into it. Uh, so first up, um, I would like to take off <clears throat> my poetry hat for a second and put on my um, press hat, not like the old school journal press hat, but like press as in making books press. Um, as many of you, as many of you probably know, um, 
and if those of you who don't, you will uh, you will find out in a second that um, I um, founded and I operate a micro press called Akinoga Press. Um, I've so far published eh, like three and a half books ish um, with it. Um, it's I've been publishing stuff since like 2013, 2014. Um, I did a lot of kind of artist books um, in the wake of my bookmaking class at UB um, that I published, published air quotes um, through the press. And then the first, I guess, like official sellable book was my thesis um, back in 2014. Um, and since then, I've published a collection of um, poetry by an amazing poet named Elise Richmond. Um, actually, I will probably be talking to her sometime in April, because um, she will be in town. And we've been trying to get together for recording a podcast for a while, so that, that'll, be, that'll be really cool. Um, and then the third book that I published was um, Anthony Mall's um, go to the Anno Select. Oh, so Elise's cl uh, collection is called Blue Mornings. Um, the next book that I published was Anthony Mall's uh, debut chapbook collection called Go to the Ant O Sluggard. Um, and he was, as you may or may not remember, he was my um, my first guest of the podcast. Uh, he is a very dear friend of mine um, and an amazing poet and. Um, awesome teacher and will soon be a w crazy awesome doctor of creative writing I think I think that's what he's what he's getting his PhD in um, he's at Morgan um, so if there are any Morgan students um, either in the PhD or undergrad program you probably know him um, and uh, the <laughs> the half of a book that Akinoga Press, Akinoga Press is publishing, um, is the, is my second chapbook, um, Possessed by Space. Um, the first edition run was published by Elise, Elise's Press, Cherry Alley Press, um, but I have officially sold out of those, and I now have the second edition, of which Akinoga Press has, Akinoga has, um, has taken over the, the publication of. I have, I can actually, I guess, officially talk about this, that I have um, a book in the works right now with a um, teacher of mine that I had in undergrad. Um, it was one of my favorite teachers and one of my favorite people. Um, she's an amazing writer. She's a great uh, playwright. Her name is Dr. Diana Setko. Um, and she sent me last night a manuscript um, that I am unbelievably excited to read. It's going to be a very, very weird book. Um, and I could not be happier for it and for the chance to collaborate with her. Um, we are planning tentatively to have this book out by AWP of this, of 2017, which will be like the second week of February. Um, so that is the tentative timeline. I don't know if we will meet it. Um, there's a kind of a lot that goes into, um, there's a lot that we have to do between now and then, and it really just depends on how long all of those steps take. Um, and I, well, I guess I could get into this. Um, 
so my process, I'm, I f assume that this is the a process or the process that most other um, publishing houses or presses follow. Um, is that first you get a manuscript. Um, I do all of the acquisitions myself. Um, Akinoga Press is currently not open for any like manuscript submissions, although there is a. Um, I do have a open submission call for anthologies, um, which I, I can put that link up in the description. Um, I want, I'm looking for people to write something with their non-dominant hand and then send me both like a typed version of what they wrote and then a picture of the original thing that they wrote, um, you know, by hand. Um, so I have that, but anyway, so I, I do all the acquisitions myself. Um, I don't really have a process, it really is just um, people that I know that are writers that I enjoy them as people and as friends and as writers um, that I will just kind of poke them occasionally and ask if they have anything anything that they've written that they want to publish um, with Diana's it was actually she posted on Facebook <clears throat> asking if anybody would be willing to or interested in publishing kind of a weird collection that she was working on and I was fortunately the first one to respond, um, so I got first dibs. Um, I've had so far one unsolicited um, manuscript submission from a Canadian poet and musician who did a Google search for handbound chapbooks, and on like the seventh or eighth, seventh or eighth page, he found the Akinoga Press Tumblr because I didn't have my official, I didn't have my site up yet. Um, and he emailed me, and we were in talks for a while. And um, but he he was at conservat uh, at a conservatory, and was in finals at the time. So that kind of was put on hiatus. And then he got back to me after finals were over, and he had another book or another manuscript that he was looking to publish. So we worked on that, and then it kind of became a, a too big of a thing, um, and that was also put on the back burner. So Stanford, if you're listening. Um, if you have any more manuscripts that you're looking to publish, please keep me in mind. Um, I'm still game if you are. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I, I get the manuscripts, um, and then I spend kind of an indeterminate amount of time um, reading them and offering um, like edits and revisions, uh, which is really kind of the, the next step in different manuscripts have come to me in different stages of being like complete um when i was working with anthony for go to the ant now sluggard we i the that book took a really really long time to create um or to put to put together and i saw a lot of his poems in very early stages so i i was very not like super apart but i was i had my i saw his process kind of develop um and although I, I think I got to ultimately with Elise's and with Anthony's, there wasn't a whole lot of like manuscript revision that, that needed to be done. And in revision on that scale kind of works. Um, it works differently. It's, it's a much larger process than so it's like when you're dealing with individual poems, you're revising them as like a poem, um, like an, as an individual piece that's not really attached to anything else. 
And then when you're dealing with a manuscript, the kind of next stage up is dealing with a, a group of poems kind of in a collection. So you have to kind of see how they talk to each other or how, um, you know, like what, what the arc is, if there are any themes that are developing, if there are any images or whatever. Um, and then the next stage up from that is dealing with the manuscript as a manuscript. Like these, the, the poems start, stop becoming a, or they, they, they no longer exist as individual works, but as part of like a larger unified piece. Um, and in each stage, there are different things that you have to deal with, just like when you're writing an essay or you're writing anything, you know, like the, the, the largest thing that you have to do is organization and coherence and structure. And then you can get down to like, do the paragraphs work and do they have enough, you know, whatever it is that they need. And then you can get down to like line editing and all the nitty gritty stuff in like typos or whatever. Um, but when you have a really, really rough draft, you don't really want to spend time doing line edits. Um, because as the piece develops and as you revise it, there's a chance that you will lose those lines or that things will get changed substantially. Um, so you really want to save like the kind of nitty gritty stuff until the end and focus on big things and then whittle it down from there. Um, and when you're dealing with like a manuscript, um, as a whole ordering is a, is a really big, um, like one of the bigger things that you really have to, to figure out like how the poems flow because, um, the, the order of the poem and the kind of arc that you create, um, depending upon how you have things ordered, uh, can drastically and vastly change the theme or the tone or just the, the journey that you're taking on. Um, when I was laying out uh, The Now Empty Sky, I was having... I, I, I knew where I wanted... I had like the two final poems that I knew I wanted to be the last two. Um, and then I had poems that I felt like should be in the beginning, <laughs> but it was really, that was the most difficult thing for me for that process was just figuring out what, how the hell the, the collection should be laid out. Um, and then I started figuring out that it was, um, you know, that they, the collection starts off in a kind of, um, alienated and isolated and kind of insular space and then it moves into a more more connected in the sense of I guess awareness um, that it's not it's not so inward looking even though it still deals a lot with the internal um, but there is more or less a sense of like peace that develops or maybe maybe not peace so much as just kind of a quietness or a stillness that the, the ones in the beginning of the, of the collection, there's, um, I don't know, there's a, a greater sense of tension, at least for me. Um, and there was a poem that I knew had to be somewhere in the middle of the piece that as it was the way that it was, um, as a, when I was trying to, to fit it, didn't really fit because it starts off um, the way that I had it originally, it starts off in kind of a more calm place and then it gets into kind of a more um, like disjointed, dissatisfied space. 
Um, but where the piece was in the, like the, really the only place that it would work in the collection was more towards the side of when things start kind of settling down. Um, so I really just, I took the first two stanzas or I took the first and the last stanza and just flipped them and it totally opened up the poem and it, it made the thing fit. And that's, that's one of the two, um, pieces towards the middle that are really kind of the major shifts of tone. Um, so that really worked out. Um, with Elise's and with Anthony's, um, and I'm imagining with Diana's as well, um, you know, as as not the writer of the work um, and as just the, the publisher or the editor, um, you know, the the role is, is different because with, with the writing of my own stuff, um, I, I don't know. It's like I have that control and I can change things I can change the things that I want to change and I, I have a, I guess a closer relationship with my own work than I do with anybody else's. Um, but as an editor of someone else is as an editor of someone else's work, um, you have to really be, to, you have to put yourself aside and focus as the focus on the pieces as pieces. Um, and try to intuit, um, like where the where the author is trying to go um and maybe not necessarily intuiting where they're trying to go but just recognizing that they're trying to move someplace and just offering some ideas of like how to get to there or just bringing up um you know like that there is some language that could be brighter and you don't really necessarily have any edits to suggest to make it brighter. It's just, you know, it's like just drawing their attention to that. This, this could be a little bit more. Um, but ultimately it's like you have to kind of default to the author, um, cause it's their work. Um, and you know, <coughs> of the edits that I suggested, um, I think the majority of them probably weren't taken, which is cool because, you know, as much as I felt like it, it fit with the piece, they, if they felt like it didn't, I'm going to trust their judgment. Um, but none of the, none of the edits that they made or didn't make, um, broke any of the poems or the book, you know, it's like, they were all good things, um, like they're all, all the poems were great with Anthony and, um, Elise's. It's just, you know, like there are some things that I'm, uh, I don't know. Like with Anthony, there, he has a lot of, um, he leans on assonance and alliteration and like the mimic of sounds that kind of repeat or develop. Um, so he's much more concerned with how things sound, um, than I am. So when there were poems that that was a that happened a lot, and my tendency would be to tell him to kind of tone it down a little bit. Um, but that really is kind of just my own, you know, it's my own preference. Um, and for some of them, I think that he didn't change the things that I suggested to change. And you know, it's like it didn't. The poems work, and they're good poems. It's just not totally 100% my taste. Um, which I said before, like I said before, um, as an editor, you kind of have to put your own, you really have to, to check, um, if the things that you are suggesting are coming from a place of like, 
like the intent of if I was writing this poem, this is how I would do it. You don't, I don't, I feel like that's a, that's not a good place to edit from. Um, I think a much better place to edit from is like, where is the, where is this poem? Where do I think that this poem is trying to go or where, where can I see or, or sense that this poem is trying to go and what would be ways to get this poem there? Um, and with editing that just kind of, that you develop those skills over time and you develop a sense of, um, like with Anthony, I've, I've worked with him for years. So I kind of have a, a sense of his cadence and a, a sense of the rhythm of how he writes and the things that he typically does when he writes. Um, so when, when I'm editing with him, like we were in a writing group a little while ago, um, it's easier for me to, to kind of quiet some of the, the, the more nitpicky critics, critic stuff and just look at the piece and like, okay, this is, this is what Anthony is doing. I kind of know his writing and I know that this is like, this is maybe a turn that's happening, but it's, you know, like something needs to happen here, but it's not super effective. So maybe there's some language or a space, like if he's not getting deep enough into some topic or I don't know, whatever. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's, that's when I said that it takes an indeterminate amount of time to read a manuscript and to do edits, getting back to that. Um, that's really, you know, it, it takes, at least for me, it takes a, it takes a little bit for me to, to really sink into a work and to get it. Sometimes it happens pretty quick, like with Anthony's. I mean, since I was working with those, with his, with him and his poetry for as long as I was before the, the book officially, before I officially got his manuscript, um, I had a longer time to, to let, um, I had more time to let his poetry kind of seep in. So when I was officially dealing, dealing with his manuscript, I kind of knew what was happening and I, it, it took, um, less time for me to get acclimated to it. Um, and it, it really, it, you know, each, each piece is, each manuscript is different and each one requires different things. Um, yeah. So after, after the revision, after I make my revisions and my edits, or my edit and revisions and revision suggestions, send it back to the author, and then they do, you know, they do their stuff, um, and then they get it to a place where they feel comfortable with it, <coughs> and then they give it back to me as like that's it, that's official. Um, even though, I, you know, it's like revisions, a process that can be never finished. Um, depending upon the writer. Um, but usually once I, I start reading the manuscript, um, I'll start thinking about layouts. And then when I definitely, when I send the piece back to the, to the author, I will start working on a layout. And then there's another process of, you know, having to know the piece well enough to know what layouts seem to work or what feels right. Um, in the kind of infinite, array of things that could possibly work and could possibly be right. Um, so I'll do, you know, for some of them, uh, I did like three or four versions and then we, we decided on one for Anthony's. It was really kind of, I kind of had a sense of where it needed to go. So I think I may have done one or one or two of them. Um, with Diana's, I have really no idea. Um, I haven't really, I haven't gotten a chance to read through the, the manuscript yet. Um, so I'm not really sure what the book is going to look like. <clears throat> but that process can take kind of long 
and then the actual like putting things into the layout depending upon how long the manuscript actually is can take kind of a, a long process and then you know getting the author to to um check off or to be you know to give me the go ahead or the, or the okay with with the with the internal layout and then i have to come up with the cover um and then that gets sent to Spencer. There's a company in Pennsylvania I use called Spencer Printing that I've I've done for the last uh, two books. Um, and then they send me a proof, and then I have to proof the proof, and then send it back to them, and then they make the book. And then if I get that, um, if I get the signatures sent to me um, unfolded. And like, if I get the book sent to me deconstructed, then I have to fold everything and stitch it and glue it and put it together. Um, so it can take, it can take a while. And then it's also, you know, if there's stuff going on in the artist's life, um, and they can't get back to me super, super quick, um, then that can add, that can cause some delays, um, and you know, like some of that stuff is un, unforeseeable, um, you know, I mean, as I'm sure most of the audience out there, the listeners, um, have known, I've often griped about, you know, life kind of just happening, which, you know, it just, it does. Sometimes you just, you can't help it. Like things, things just happen. Um, yeah. So that was, I don't know why I really got into the rundown of the press. Um, but that's, kind of a side thing that I do. Um, in the segue, this is actually kind of what I wanted this section to be about. Um, like the, oh God, I don't know, like the scope or the, like the measure of success for my press, um, which has some assonance and a little bit of rhyme, which is channeling of Anthony a little bit. But anyway, um, uh, as I believe I mentioned in a couple of the podcasts, um, maybe if not, it was definitely on my website. Um, I had the opportunity to sell books at the Baltimore book fest in September. <coughs> and more recently I had the opportunity to sell books at Micah's art market, um, which is in, I think a biannual event that they do where it's uh, MICA students and faculty and people in the larger kind of MICA arts community um, have the get the chance to like sell their wares um, and both events um, felt similar but each one had their kind of unique their uniqueness um, so Bookfest was essentially just books um, <clears throat> it was down to the inner harbor um there were a lot of like book shops that had stuff for sale there were um some presses that were there lots of panels lots of readings um apologize for my phone i forgot to put it on um vibrate um yeah so most of the people who showed up at Bookfest were looking for books um, although when I wandered around, I did not see so many handmade stuff. There were a bunch of handmade journals, uh, like leather bound handmade journals, but 
I didn't see a whole lot of handmade um, content, books, handmade books that have content in them. Um, so in that respect, I feel like my display stood out um, because, you know, it was, it was kind of unique. But my books, so with, this would be a, a small tangent, um, it's really, really difficult to price handmade books, um, both journals and books that have content. Um, because you, I feel like you occupy, and I don't know if, if I talked about this with um, Ginny and Meredith when we were talking about like the handmade book stuff, um, or I guess I should have talked about it with Mason Jar and Mason Jar Press and uh, Ink Press Productions when I had them on the podcast. Um, but handmade books, I feel, are very, very difficult to price because you occupy a weird space between, um, like mat, like commercial books and art. Um, and most people, when they when they think about books, um, you know, generally don't tend to not pay over like twenty bucks or so for like a full length novel, or you know, like around twenty bucks for a full length collection of poetry. Um, so I tend to price mine a little lower um, to make it enticing for people to buy it, or you know, it's like just within their um, to tell to have it to have my books at least a little more accessible to people, um, you know, because I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna price them at like forty or fifty dollars, even though that might be closer to what they're actually quote unquote worth if you take into account how much time was put in to making them. Um, like my thesis, I did, with my thesis and with Elisa's book, I did everything. I did all the layout, I printed them myself, I did all of the binding, I tore all the pages, I, like, I, I constructed from start to finish, except for making the paper and, I guess, the ink. I did everything for those books. Um, well, for Elisa's, I didn't write it, but, like, in the construction of the book, I did everything. Um... And it took me so, like weeks to get that to get that done, and hours and hours. Um, so, but the, my price point for the books does not include like my own personal labor. Um, I essentially worked for free for myself um, because I I don't know. There's like especially with poetry. There's I guess this is this is kind of a point that I was going to make a little bit later. Um, I'll just make it now that with um, with poetry, there's a there's a really kind of small uh, segment of readers who read poetry, and then of that segment, there's an even smaller segment that that would appreciate like a handmade book. Um, so you really you know to like define that that group of people or that um that customer base is a really you know it's like it's really it's a narrow margin of people out there um so you know i don't know it's a couple of extra hurdles that you have to that you have to surmount um in order to to sell things um so but with bookfest i felt there was a greater um, 
likelihood that people would be interested in the books because they're you know books they're poetry you know, like there's other poetry and there's other things around there and you know people who go to book fest i imagine are avid readers um so there's a greater likelihood that i would attract or i would catch you know, like people who read poetry um and i did i had some i had some wonderful conversations with people um i had two really awesome experiences like the two the two highlights of book fest um happened happened on the same day actually i think it was the the it was either the last day or the second to last day um and in the morning there was a gentleman that walked that came by um my table was right close to the entrance um of bookfest or one of the entrances of bookfest and he came in and he picked up uh one of anthony's books and he was thumbing through it and i was telling him i was giving him kind of the spiel of you know what it was about um for those of you who don't know, um, Anthony was working a really stifling, um, like, white-collar job. Um, and to keep his sanity, he would he wrote the poems that turned into Go to the Anno Sluggard while he was working the job. Um, and the, poem, the poems in the book as a whole are uh, very, um, like, against that type of work environment and against capitalism and, like, what capitalistic work environments do to people especially artists in the trying to make everything you know it's like molding everything to be the same and not allowing for the kind of the uniqueness and the um the space for um deviation and originality or you know just individuality or whatever um so his poems are actively seeking those those moments in those spaces um, and they're all written in a form called the fib. So each, the syllables of each line, the syllable count of each line corresponds with a number on the Fibonacci sequence. So if you're looking at, their, at the poems on the page, they grow larger. Um, so, and even in, so like the, he's writing about a very structured, very limiting environment in a very structured, very limiting, limiting form of poetry. So, the the content and the form kind of mirror each other and he he does a a wonderful job of finding space and turns and places that he can push in both the form and the content so in so many words i told this this gentleman that um and he seemed to be really 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 on board with the kind of the the feel and the vibe and the um but he said that since he first he just got to bookfest he was gonna you know make his rounds and then come back and um you know, maybe come back. I was like, okay, cool. I'll be here all day. Please swing back, you know, swing back around. Um, I'd love for you to have one of these books. And then like two, two or three hours go by, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. And then I see him come, come and walking up again. And he told me that um, he couldn't stop thinking about Anthony's poems and he couldn't stop thinking about the book. So he just, he had to come back and get it. And I was like, yeah, internally I was jumping around and throwing my fists up in the air. Because um, that was, I mean, not, I'm I'm proud for Anthony that his writing stuck in someone's head. And I'm, I'm proud for myself that the design and like the look of the book, the, um, the vehicle of the poetry um, also seemed to stick in, into his head in his head which that was that was a great moment um and the other really cool experience or the other neat moment was um 
there was a young woman who came by, um, I think it was Saturday, and bought, like we talked for a little bit, and she bought a copy of The Now Empty Sky. And then the following day, she came back and told me that she, like, devoured that that collection, like, Saturday night, and she had to get my other one because I was selling Possessed by Space as well. Um, and that blew me away. I, I was... I don't know, like that that level of I mean not level of, but to have to have gained a new fan of my writing and to have that fan enjoy or be moved by or connected to what I wrote so much that they wanted to come back and get the other thing that I wrote. Um like I I'm I was unbelievably moved by that, and I wish that I had I there was kind of a crowd, and I was I was dealing with some other customers, and I wish that I would have had um, more of a more of an opportunity to talk with her. So if if somehow you were listening to this podcast, please send me a message or an email. Um, I would love to touch base and just in general th- thank you for buying my books. Um, I appreciate that you appreciate them. Um, yeah, so Bookfest in and of itself I felt was a success. I sold 25 books, which was pretty substantial for me. Um, it was a neat opportunity to just kind of talk with people. Um, and I don't know, like I didn't come away with it feeling really I felt it was a it was a success. I mean, it was I had to put in some long hours um, and it was just kind of draining talking to I mean, as an introvert just like talking to a bunch of people for like seven hours a day can be is just you know i was um emotionally just drained by the end of it um but yeah i mean it was it was a good time um and it's just it was it was interesting to see like who stopped and like who who noticed and like looked at the display and then who stopped by and read things and then who of the people who stopped by and picked up and read things um actually bought stuff um and i i got a little bit of a taste of the of this of the whole um like recognizing that like recognizing more in full that there's a very very narrow spectrum of people that are are that would be attracted to like handmade poetry books, um, and I really got a taste of that at Art Market, um, which was uh, earlier in December. Um, it was like two weeks ago, which was part of the reason why I didn't have a um, an episode earlier in the month was because I was making second editions of the Now Empty Sky and Blue Mornings. Um, so for like a week and a half to two weeks I was really just making books and making sure I had all of my shit together for art market um which is was a day longer and a couple uh get yeah, a total day longer and then a couple of hours longer per day than Bookfest was um and with art market um it was you know you get more of potentially the art like the people who would appreciate these books as art, um, which I was one of the few sellers there that had um, like contented um, 
like written content stuff. Most most of the things that that had books that had content. I well, let me let me rephrase that. I was one of the few sellers that had written content in books. Um, there were a lot of other people that were selling stuff that had um, like comics or illustrations. Um, so much more visually based. <coughs> and um, after the first day, I, I kind of resigned myself to just like think, like resigned myself to the fact that I probably wasn't going to sell a whole lot at Art Market. Um, I ended up selling one more book than I did at BookFest. Um, so as far as sales go, a little bit of a success, um, a little bit more of a, of a success, I guess, but, um, I don't know. Like I, I feel like the, what I'm, what I'm doing with like handmade chat books exists in some space between art markets and book fest. Like there's some other thing, um, possibly like the, the print in multiples fair, that would be maybe a, a place that would be that there'd be more people inclined to like to either appreciate it as poetry or like be attracted to it as poetry and also attracted to it as just the physical, um, like the, the physical artifact of, of a book. Um, but I also had, um, some interesting interactions with people. Uh, there was one young woman who talked with me for a good, like, I don't know, like maybe 10 minutes or so. Um, and then just was sort of like, okay, well, thanks. Good luck. Um, which, you know, was like, oh, all right. Um, I had a couple other people that, that stopped by that I talked to for a while that, um, I don't know. It was weird. It's like some people were interested and engaged in like the bookmaking process and other people were just interested in just like talking, you know, like poetry or talking press or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's like in and of itself and in that, in that respect, I, I had a really good time just talking with people. Um, and I, I had my first taste of this at the first AW, AWP that I went to when I sat in and tabled, um, for the, the MFA program while the people who were there went to off to panels or went to go get something to eat. And I, I had a blast, um, again, as an introvert, um, or I guess, potentially just my personal flavor of introversion. Um, it is unbelievably difficult for me to make the first move to talk to somebody. Um, that is, however, unless there is a, like a, a set thing that I can say, or like there's a, there's a set circumstances or whatever that, um, like if someone's coming up to my books, it's very like, I know I have kind of a script or I know that I can say, Oh, you know, I can, would you like for me to tell you about these or, you know, feel free to ask and I can give you any more, any extra information that you like. So, you know, it's like I can immediately break the ice because there's a, there's like a purpose that they're coming to this thing to look at. Um, when I'm just meeting new people, like I, it could, I could say anything and that kind of paralyzes me and I'm like, I'm just going to stay quiet and hope that somebody talks to me first. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was I was feeling I got a little salty like throughout um, book throughout art market um, because there was a guy who made like hand carved these little wooden wizards 
that set up his stuff and then was just, you know, like had, I don't know if he had work or had classes or whatever, but he, he just wasn't there. And those things just sold out. Like, so people came by and grabbed these things by the handfuls. Um, and I don't know, it's like being at art market really was the first time that I ever, and I, I didn't even think about this after Bookfest. It was really at art market that I, I began to, to think about, um, like, target audiences or my audience, like my customer base or um, like what it means to be, for me personally, what it, what does it mean? Uh, like what does success mean for my press? Um, like what would be, um, I don't know, like how would, how would I measure whether of whether or not my, my press is successful? Um, and I feel like for most people or most presses, um, it would be the number of books that you sell or the number of books that you can get into the hands of people, um, which is, you know, great. That's awesome. If you can sell a shit ton of books, that's fantastic, especially if that's your day job and you need to sell books to get, you know, a living. That's awesome. That's, that's great. Um, I don't, I don't think that my press is going to use that as a, as a demarcation of, of how successful it is. Uh, again, because there's already a small number, like a small audience for poetry. And then within that, there's an even smaller audience for like handmade chat books. Um, but within that smaller audience, there is, I feel a, a much greater sense of appreciation. Um, that like if somebody comes by and buys one of my handmade chapbooks, I get the sense that it's going to be something that they will keep and cherish for a long, long time. Maybe not forever, but there will get there'll be a number of really solid years that this person will give to this book. Um, I don't know. There's I I feel like there's a like a deeper sense of or I, I sense a, a deeper connection or a deeper admiration or appreciation of it. Um, I don't know if that's just personal bias. I don't know if that's wishful thinking. Um, but based upon some of the experiences that I had with people who, who picked up the books, who like, one, were I catched enough by them that they would come over and thumb through them, and then from the, the thumbing through them, there was some sort of connection. Um, I'm sad that I missed one of these experiences. I was off talking to, to one of the other presses, um, that I met and I came back and my friend, um, Maria, who was working the table next to me said that there were like two young women that came by and picked up one of my book, picked up the now empty sky and read a couple of poems and then were like visibly excited about it. And then bought, got one of my books and they said they were going to share. And then the one of the girl or one of the young women came back and then got herself a copy um, so if, if you two are out there listening, thank you. That is one of the highest compliments I think I've ever gotten is that someone is actually excited about my writing. Um, and the other really wonderful experience that I had, there was a young woman named Sam who came by, um, and picked up one of Elisa's books and was visibly moved by it. Um, and then we just started talking and she seemed to, to really connect with, with Elisa's book or just with like the idea of, you know, like hand, I don't, I don't know if like the idea of handmade poetry or just like the, the, the 
the the vibe that these books had um and she ended up walking off with um a copy of elise's and a copy of um a copy of the now empty sky um and i told her like i gave her one of my cards and i told her to like to please keep in touch and i'm i'm very excited to um to know what her reaction to the books are um and on monday of this week she sent me an email and it was it is probably by far the best email that i have ever received um and it it was just it was a like the culmination a combination of so many so many things that i appreciate um one that she had this connection to these books and in the email in the in the email she said that um she went home and read my book and then read it again and then read it again after that um and towards the end of her her email she thanked me for allowing people to feel not um not so alone and that like that more than anything gave me a sense of I think more than like anything in in the scope of my writing career um, gave me a sense of like validation and vindication that that my art has a purpose and that it's it's meaningful because um, so much of the of the art that I um, that I seek out and that I'm that I'm that I feel connected to really is the sense of it makes me feel like or it it opens me up to the to the understanding that there are other people out there that feel things similarly to how I feel them um, and as someone who is um, more sensitive to depression um, and like that side of kind of the heavier emotions um, that's a really which it will actually be um, the next topic that I that I talk about. So this this is a good kind of a little bit of a segue. Um, like I, it's it's vital, it's vitally important to me to hold on to those connections and to know that um, that I'm not alone and feeling the things that I feel or thinking about things the way that I think about them or just seeing things the way that I see them. Um, and I know that, you know, like nobody else sees things exactly the way that I do, but uh, there's a lot of kinship that I feel. Um, I mean, like Mary Oliver is, and Charles Wright are two poets um, that like I feel a, a, like a familial relationship with. And that's just, it's so comforting to me to have, to have them as people that I can, um, I don't know that I can draw from from and I can lean on when I need to lean on and kind of like relax into when I when I need to do that. Um, so for someone else to have to have that reaction to my art, um, like to have the reaction that I cherish when I like my own cherished reaction that I have to art um, is was just it. It left me like both verbally and mentally speechless for a while after I read that. And it was just, just an amazing, it was an amazing experience 
for me. Um, even more so that Sam felt like not only felt connected and moved by the work, but un- enough so that she felt compelled to write back. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I hope that other artists that are making things that like are touching people's lives, like feel that and can, can get that, that sense of, um, I don't know, appreciation. And I, I hope that, that that doesn't get old for artists. And I, I don't think it will ever, there's no way it will ever, ever get old for me. And it, it's one of those things that's like, I, I will remember and I will, I will hold those things super, super close. Um, cause it's, I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a grounding thing for me to realize that, um, that I have, like I've tapped into that, that honor. Um, and I'm, you know, brushing shoulders, at least in this regard with, with other artists. Um, and it really, like, it makes me feel like I'm an actual artist. Um, that I'm not doing this as just like a hobby or a passion that there's, um, that I, like when I emailed, when I, I emailed her back, um, and I, like this is really kind of the the feeling that I had. That's like so so much of of why I make art, um, and like the intent and the impetus behind it is really it feels like me reaching out into the world. That you know it's like these are these are things that I think these are things that I feel and I'm I'm sending them out there. Um, you know I'm I'm just I'm reaching out, and Sam reached back, and it was, you know. Awesome to have to have that moment of of hands um, like clasping um, out there in the you know in the the whatever it is that's out there. Um, so Sam, if you're listening, um, thank you so much. I'm so glad that my books found their way to you. Um, and this kind of goes back to the measure of success for my press. Um, Sam, that's like you, you were the measure of success. The fact that, that my books made them into your hands and that you've, you've been affected by them. Um, like that's, that's, that's a success for me. Um, like if I, if I go the rest of my life without selling anything else, or if I don't affect anybody else the way that I affected Sam, that's, I think that would be, I, I would be okay with that. I, you know, I did my job as a, as an artist. I would like for that job to continue, but you know, it's like, I, I did it. I accomplished it. Um, so yeah, so that's, um, that's that. Um, yeah, I think I'm hoping that eventually I will have enough books, um, to sell at AWP and um, that is probably a long way off because I think the tables there cost some obscene amount of money. Um, but I, I mean, that's that's a goal. Um, I don't know how soon I'll reach that goal, but you know, AP, AWP happens every year. Um, so sooner or later. <coughs> um, but um, I was wondering how I was going to get these, the three topics um, up 
or out, I guess. Um, I knew that the press thing was going to, was going to be first. Um, and I, of the second two, I didn't know which one was going to come second, but I think it's going to be kind of some internal discuss internal discussion of some internal stuff. Um, which, yeah, I will get to right after I pause this to get some more water. All right. So got some water. Um, I, <coughs> it's not doing a whole lot for me coughing, but anyway, um, yeah. So a couple of podcasts ago, um, I believe that I was starting to talk about, um, I don't really remember how I got into this, but talking about like, um, the, uh, at least ostensibly, it seems that, um, artists are more susceptible to, um, mental illnesses or emotional illnesses or however it is that you want to talk, talk to them about like anxiety or depression or, um, OCD or like things, things of that nature, like in that, in that, those types of categories. Um, and I said that I, I didn't feel, I was beginning to get in, I was getting into some territory that I was not, um, super qualified to talk about. Um, and I'm still not, um, although I did think about this a little, I was thinking about this a little bit and, um, it may not be that artists are more susceptible to, or seem to be, um, that more often than not they are they 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 um have to deal with with those like types of mental illnesses or emotional disorders or whatever um it may just be that because they are artists they're like more open to being affected by things i don't know i've i've thought about i've been, i've been thinking about not actively recently but just like kind of in general about <clears throat> like what like why some people are artists or like how if if creativity is um like let's say it's some some sort of like outside force like what makes people more connected to it or more sensitive to it um i think that that might be giving creativity maybe a little more met metaphysical power or more metaphysical properties than it has. Um, but I mean, so I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but, um, there's a reason I'm, I need to get, I need to get somewhere, but I have to, I have to start here first. But anyway, I, um, I grew up, um, non-denominational Christian and for a good, like, Eh, I don't know, like seven to nine years, I was very devoutly Christian. Um, I have since moved on from that. Um, if anything, I feel closest to, um, I don't know, like Zen Buddhism, kind of. Um, but I don't really subscribe to any set belief system. Um, but in, in kind of giving up or letting go of a lot of things that I held on to when I was a Christian. Um, I still, I don't know if I necessarily believe in like a, a, a creator, kind of a generic creator. 
Um, but I still think that I believe in like a creative force, maybe like life force, whatever it is that you want to call it. Um, but I don't think that it is um, anything that has any sort of like consciousness or plan or um, I don't know anything that res that resembles like intelligence. For me, it's it's more or less a kind of like a, a force of nature um, or like gravity that there may be certain rules that it follows just due to the nature of the universe. <coughs> and then it just kind of does what it does. Um, like where it goes, life happens or like creativity happens. Um, or where it goes, like if you're connected to it or sensitive to it, then you have the ability to create. Um, but it's more or less indiscriminate, which is how you can have, you know, like people of, of questionable, um, I don't know, intention or, you know, just like people who are just dicks or just like terrible people, why they can be creative. You know, it's like if there's, if they're just naturally more sensitive to something, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> But in thinking about it, like, that potentially is one explanation for me. It's like, if, if, if there is this thing, this outside creative whatever, um, and you have to be sensitive or be open or be, like, predisposed in a certain way to be sensitive to that or to be able to tap into that, um, then that may potentially overlap with being sensitive and being open and being influent or more more susceptible to being influenced by other things which you know like if mental illness or you know whatever um so all of that being said which was kind of a long tangent um i don't really i don't know um i have not really done a whole lot of or really any research into the nature of creativity and like where it, where it stems from um I've also really not done a whole lot of research, and I think I mentioned this in the other podcast, into, um, like, if artists are more likely to um, to have, like, a, a mental illness, or if they are, why they are. Um, it's a big if. I don't, I don't really know. It seems like that to me, but again, I could just be looking at a small distribution group, um... But, yeah, so, um, I don't feel qualified talking about other people's experiences with this, because I really don't know. Um, I would like to talk about my own experience with it, um, to an extent. Um, although, the first thing that I, I would like to mention, um, and I've seen some, some Tumblr posts and some other, some, like, other posts that, um, are that present that say this much more eloquently than um than i think that i will right now um and if i can i'll try to find it and put it up in the description but <coughs> i think that there is a danger of people like using or viewing a mental illness as the source of their creativity um, like if you're only able to create when you are like depressed or you're in like a manic episode, um, 
I don't know if that's necessarily um, healthy. Um, and I, I even hesitate saying that because like, I feel people's thresholds for stuff are probably different. Um, I know that with my own dealings with like depression and stuff, I don't, it's not as, it's definitely not as severe as other people that I know. Um, and it's easier for me to weather it. Um, and it's easier for me to kind of just more or less deal with it, but I'll, I'll get, I'll get to that. Um, but if you, I don't know, it's like if you, if you are dealing with like a, a mental illness or an emotional disorder or anything along those lines that in general is, is keeping you from being um, like healthy internally or externally in any sense, like if it's, if it's preventing you from being in a healthy place and you have the opportunity to um, get, like seek treatment or like talk to a counselor or a therapist about it. Um, but you are afraid of like losing, like, like if, if you view it as the source of your creativity, um, I, I would suggest trying to get help. Um, because I don't, I think that the create like people who are who are creative are creative kind of regardless. Um, and if there is this thing that's that's preventing you from being healthy, um, like and you can get that dealt with, like get that shit dealt with, because um, I you know, like no, no art is is worth being unhealthy for. I think in my, in my opinion. Um, I mean, and I, I can really only speak, you know, for myself about this. Um, but if like writing poetry led me into unhealthy places, like I would choose being healthy over writing poetry. Um, but I also think that, um, like I said, if you, if you're a creative person, you you're creative regardless. And I think that um, I think in case, in more cases than not, um, like the, whatever, whatever it is that's keeping you from healthy, it's like, it's not the source of the creativity. It's like, you're being creative kind of in spite of that. Um, and it's not to say that like, if you were able to get healthy or, or to manage like whatever it is that's, that you're going through, um, it's not to say that the creativity won't potentially change um but i don't know i just i wanted to throw that out there um i don't know it's i feel so i i have a tendency to be non-committal when i when i talk about certain things um because i i try to, to keep the space open for like these, these are my opinions and some of the stuff, you know, it's like this works for me, but it might not work for everybody. And I know that, you know, like based upon other people's experiences, their opinions will obviously be different. Um, and their experiences of dealing with stuff will be potentially, you know, 
potentially or pretty obviously different from mine. Um, and I don't want it to seem like I'm um, like minimizing or, um, you know, like saying anybody the way that anybody lives is wrong. I don't I don't want to do that. Um, but I do think that there is some kind of general, like more or less like truths for kind of everybody. Um, or kind of just like general truths. Um, and I, I would like to think that like the healthiness is a truth that's more or less, um, you know, it's like kind of true. I mean, I don't, I don't honestly don't know if it is or not. And I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I, I don't mean to be, um, like ableist of, of people who have like physical disorders or like, you know, neurological disorders. Um, I'm strictly speaking about, you know, like emotional and mental disorders that like if you can if you can get treatment for, you know, like if you can do it, um, I think that like being I think that being healthy in in whatever however that is defined for you or however that is true for you, I think is should be people's like top priority. Um because if you're if you're good and you're like aligned or I mean whatever or just healthy or just like whatever it is that you need to be on the inside to keep yourself in a good place, um, then that tends to mean that like in your interactions with other people and your place externally, you can be in a more or less good place. Um, I know that there are some you know potentially extenuating circumstances that can prevent some of that, but. I, I, Regardless of that, I, I don't know. From the stuff that's, all of that and the stuff that will follow, I mean, everything on, on the podcast really when I'm speaking is like, this is kind of my opinion. Um, so if it's not true for your life, it's not true for your life. Um, if it's kind of true for your life, it's, it could be kind of true for your life. I mean, the things that, I, that I'm saying, I, I mean... Um, Yeah, like, a lot of the stuff is true for me. Some of it is true for me now. I don't know if it will stay true for me now. Um, but, yeah. So I'm going to talk about some some of my own internal dealings. Um, like I said before, um, I feel much more um, sensitive to or much more... Um, given to, um, like the depression side of stuff. Uh, I've only suffered from anxiety a handful of times and the, the times that, it, that I, that I have dealt with it, um, has been more or less situational or like contextual. Um, and when the circumstances or the situation changed, the anxiety went away. Um, I know a lot of people that have, um, anxiety on kind of a general scheme or general spectrum um and i i have a lot of empathy for them because i i cannot deal anxiety is terrible oh, i hate it i hate feeling it i hate feeling it so much um and i think one of the reasons why i might be more given towards depression is that i'm relatively low energy um 
and depression of the kind of of the stuff um, feels the most kind of the most low energy of them. Um, for me, it comes it comes to me as just like a slow, um, like a slow severing of connection to things, be it like energy or interest or people or you know desires or just whatever. Um, it makes me just generally not want to do stuff. Um, and in, if I'm being honest, my general state is kind of not wanting to do stuff. Um, yeah, so like, it's, it's really easy for me to lose momentum. Um, and depression a lot of times comes at me as just a, a massive loss of momentum and a, a lack of being able to get it back or to pick it back up. Um, that being said, I, it rarely ever hits me super, super hard. Um, so when, when I get my episodes, um, it's, it's easy for me to kind of just cope with them or to kind of just deal with them. Um, I tend to deal with them the way that I deal with most other emotions, um, which is essentially just kind of letting them run their course. Um, so this is something that I think that this is true for me. I don't know if it's true for other people. Um, if you test it out for your life and it works awesome, if it doesn't, that's also cool. Um, and also awesome. <coughs> I think that I may have, I may have mentioned this on other podcasts, but I feel like it bears at least repeating in, in this context that, um, I view emotions, my own emotions as if they were weather, more or less. Um, a lot of times, like in my internal landscape or on, on, in my internal um, visuals, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, I, I feel like I see my emotions or I, I view them or I imagine them as like weather happening kind of to me on the inside. Um, Sometimes I'm just kind of watching it move across a landscape. Sometimes I'm on the landscape and the weather is happening to me, but I never feel like I am the weather itself. It always feels like it's this this thing this thing that is separate from me that is happening kind of inside of me. So I mean, in in that respect, it's a part of me, but it's it's something that happens like to me. Um, In kind of in the respect, I also view it as um, they're kind of like I view emotions as like in involuntary internal reactions. Kind of like if you if like you know getting the um, the little mallet on the um, your knee, it, somebody you know like takes in the reflexes on your knee. Somebody smacks you in that little um, little nerve right underneath the kneecap, and your leg kicks up. You don't do anything to cause your leg to kick up. You don't intend for it to, you know, it's like it's not a conscious action or a conscious reaction on your part. It just sort of happens. Um, and I view emotions very much that way, that they're like you experience things or things happen to you and then you have kind of just a reaction on the inside. Um, and in that respect, you know, like anything that you feel is valid because it's something that you feel. Um, but... I would also, like, after that, after the recognition and the acknowledgement that you're feeling something, I feel like the, the next step is to figure out where that comes from, if you can. Like, what's, like, um, 
try to delve into like maybe why you're feeling this thing or what's um, if it's something that you don't want to feel like if, if something happens and you feel jealous, maybe try to, to suss out, you know, like where, what's, what's bringing out the jealousy or like what, what are the, the deeper things that are, that are acting or causing you to feel this thing? <coughs> um, when I was younger, jealousy was a, was a big, um, like I, it was an emotion that I felt a lot that I didn't want to feel. Um, but it stemmed from, I think a lot of the times from, uh, my own insecurities and my own fear of being replaced. Um, so when I would see my friends hanging out together, like as just like my two, two other friends hanging out together without me, there, the jealousy would, would, would kick up because of the insecurities and the, the fear of like, Oh shit, I might be, I might they might be edging me out of this friendship. Um, cause that's, that's been a pretty consistent fear of mine. Um, that, um, I become friends with somebody and then they find like a better version of me and then they move on to that other person and they just kind of leave me behind, which as far as, as far as I can recall, I don't think has ever happened. Um, It happened to a degree, I guess, in one of my relationships, um, which I won't, <coughs> I won't get into now. Um, but yeah, so you know, like feeling stuff, whatever it is that you feel, whatever emotion that you have in response to stuff, I don't think is the emotion itself. I don't think is bad. Like the feeling of stuff, I don't think is bad. It's just sort of like what you do with them could be you know, it's like you have control over that. And then the source of like, why, like potentially the root of them are like where, what part of you they're coming up from or what part of you engendered that feeling. Um, you might be able to do some work in, you know, like with, with me with jealousy, it was a lot of, like I had to like trust my friends or um, like lose some of the expectations that I had for certain things and just sort of deal with things as they were or see things as they were and not as, as I was perceiving them or as I was projecting them to be. Um, and when I did, when I started working on that, a lot of the jealousy cleared up because, you know, it's like, I didn't have to worry. I wasn't worried about the insecurities or I wasn't worried about all these things that was, (coughs) 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 that I perceived were happening that weren't actually happening. Um, so, yeah, so that all that being said, um, for me, um, like I, I view emotions as kind of like surface, more surface things that are that are easily, um, I don't know, like they're more easily changed or they're sub- more like fickle, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think fickle is the correct word, but they're... Um, it's more likely to change or more likely to not last super, super long. Um, and I, I think that there are things that exist below that, like maybe states of being or states of heart or whatever it is that you want to call them that are, um, more or less in the same family as emotions. Um, but have a little bit more staying power or a little bit more weight or a little bit more density. And, and in that respect, they're less likely to be, um, like affected 
by stuff or that like it, it, they become these the kind of like underlying states that you have that the rest of the experiences are maybe maybe not filtered through but they kind of come up out of that um so for me um i don't know like neutralness content contentment i don't know like kind of just being primed and ready is the general state that i'm at um but you know it's like the the kind of contentment or the the stillness is a um and my roommate's cat just popped open the door um like there's there's a stillness that i feel that exists kind of below my emotions that a lot of the emotions that kind of like sit on top of um that is a lot more it's a lot it's a lot more difficult to to cause the stillness to be um to be rustled it happens it definitely happens um but it there's a lot more um like i have to experience something more something has to affect me in a deeper way for that to be you know for ripples to start appearing there whereas my emotions are just you know like they're they kind of they kind of do what they do um and i think i'm not sure if depression is one of those like deeper states but i definitely think that it's deeper than emotions are it sits it's like it has more weight than emotions do um but i i still view depression as if it acts in in that way um i view it a lot like um like really kind of gross overcast weather um that just kind of moves in for a little bit and then after a certain amount of time it just kind of goes away and i don't really do anything to make it go away um i don't know if this is an unhealthy coping mechanism or not but um it's kind of just the way that it happens for me and it, it um or i guess the way that i've started dealing with it and it doesn't i don't i don't know i don't seem to be negatively affected by it um which is probably why i haven't done anything to really change my this is the way that i perceive it or this is the way that i react to dealing with depression um but i I mean i think like i said before it's it's not a i don't feel it super super severely um so i think that you know it's like it just i i'm just i feel kind of more blessed than i usually do for like a couple of days and then it it kind of goes away and there i do feel um I guess some like contextual or situational depression, um, like around Thanksgiving, there was a lot that was kicked up, um, with some like stuff with my brother, um, who was actually the source of, um, not him specifically was the source of the first time that I dealt with depression, but like a, the aftermath of, of an of a encounter that I had with him was what the first time that led me to it. Um, so for many, many years, um, I think that I would, I think that I also just kind of cycle into depression um, or I just kind of cycle down. Um, but for, for years, um, sorry, the cat's playing with some mail that's on the floor and I'm making sure she doesn't lick any glue um, on the envelope. But anyway, um, for years uh, when I was younger, um, I would have moments where I would go in, um, 
the best way I can describe it was just be, like I would become super, super introspective. Um, and I would tend to like not want to talk to a lot of people or just kind of want to be by myself. Um, and that would sometimes be like I, I could not maybe not be more creative, but I, you know, like I would kind of sequester myself um, and not really do a whole lot of else. So there'd be some some creativity that you know, since I wasn't doing anything else, or right? maybe it was just that I, I finally had some time and some quiet that whatever's kicking around in my head would, um, would come out. But, um, yeah, I would, I would kind of just cycle inward. Um, and that, that happened for years and years. And then there was one, um, summer that, um, so the winter before that was the last time that I talked with my brother. Um, and the summer, I guess it was the summer of 2012, um, I started like being, I developed insomnia. Um, like I wouldn't, I didn't want to go to sleep. Um, so I would stay up until like four or five in the morning. Um, I felt super, super restless. Uh, I would go on walks around my neighborhood anywhere between, like I started going on walks from like anywhere between 12 to three o'clock in the morning, just cause I would be in my apartment all night and I not want to sleep and not like exhaust all the things that I would, you know, look online for, or, you know, just like be super, super restless. Um, and there was one night or I guess one early morning that I got back from one of my walks and it started to rain uh, and I just was kind of hanging out by my car while it was raining and I suddenly realized that I was like dealing with depression or that I was depressed and I had been for a, a super, super long time. Um, and I tracked it to that, you know, it was in response to um, having not talked to my brother in like six months whereas before that we talked like almost like we talked a couple times a week um and that I think changed my internal equilibrium so like after that point um for months I would when I would cycle you know downward or cycle low whereas before I would go inward I would now start going down um and for, God, this maybe lasted like a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, and then slowly my equilibrium kind of shifted back to neutral. So I, when I say equilibrium, like I on the, internally I feel like neutral most of the time. Um, maybe a little below neutral, but it's definitely like on the lower end of the spectrum. So I think when I was dealing with the depression or in the aftermath of like not talking to my brother, whatever internal equilibrium I had shifted down a couple of units, a couple of pegs, I don't know. So that instead of before when I would go down, I would still be above like the depression or above like being low. Now, because I was much closer to that, I guess like sea level, um, I was now dipping solidly into like, oh shit, I'm depressed now. Um, but slowly the, the equilibrium kind of like readjusted itself. Um, and I'm going through bigger and bigger stretches now where I'm not depressed. Um, 
I still kind of have those moments of like not, I guess kind of like just moments of disengagement, um, which as, um, as an introvert, I think might be part of just the natural cycle of just like, you know, I'm, I'm done talking with people or interacting with things. I just need to be by myself to completely recharge, um, or to recharge in a particular way. <coughs> but, um, like I said, this past Thanksgiving, I, I definitely had a depressive episode. Um, and I think it was kicked off because I was, I was thinking about like my brother and the fact that it's been, um, five, wow, five years now since we've talked. Um, and, you know, like intertwined with that was going through the, the kind of like not cycle because it's it doesn't go like that but like the grief uh spectrum i guess so you know like within feeling grief there's at least for me there's often like depression kind of is sitting somewhere right underneath that um so in thinking like this this past thanksgiving a lot of like the i i kind of went through some of the the grief process again um and I think that in part, you know, like kicked up some depression or the depression kicked up the grief. I don't know. Or it either came together or one caused the other one. <coughs> um, but yeah, so um, the, I often feel when I'm depressed, I get this this feeling um when i'm depressed other times when i'm just kind of like down or in that there's something that i should be doing um or some like something that i i need to to convey or need to tap into and a lot of times like i would turn to um like either poetry or turn especially to music um to try to to deal with whatever it was that i was feeling and so in this respect, um, I don't think that my depression has made me any more creative than I am naturally. Um, I do think that it has given me the opportunity to um, tap into parts of me that I can convey in a creative means that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. Um, which, you know, like when I'm sad or when I'm like whatever version of happy it is that I feel, um, contentment, I guess. Um, I do the same thing. You know, it's like, I, I will oftentimes turn to music or turn to my poetry to try to capture that, that experience or that feeling, um, while I'm in there because, you know, like m most of the stuff that I, most of my art is very emotionally driven. Um, and I need to be kind of in the feeling or released right after the feeling to capture what it is, um, what it, what it was that I felt effectively. Cause usually when I'm feeling stuff, I don't want to create. And it's only kind of like in the, the short aftermath, like afterward during the wake of it, that'd be like, Oh, okay. I can, I can tap into this. Um, but there have been a couple of times, um, when I was depressed that I actively tried to, to like get it out. And I, I think, so 
I don't know if I've mentioned this before, and this is kind of a, a little bit of a segue um, into the other topic that I want to talk about, which was music. Um, that I'm I'm a musician. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have a SoundCloud. Um, another another SoundCloud with my own music on it. <coughs> um, I started out artistically as a musician over being a writer. I I didn't. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, I didn't really start writing until high school. Um, and then I really, really didn't start developing my own voice until like close to the end of undergrad. Um, but I had been playing music both by myself and with my brother for like years before that. Um, so... Um, a lot of times when I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling sad or whatever, there feels like there's something in like an emotion in me. I will, um, that's like heavier or like darker. I will seek out music usually to listen to. Um, because for me it like, I, I experience music emotionally. Um, and if I can find music that mirrors or is at least like a, akin to what it is that I feel, um, I feel like it, it gives me this external space that I can allow like the passage of whatever it is that I'm feeling out um, or at least kind of like ease some of the pressure or some of the tension that I'm feeling like it equalizes stuff a little bit for me so it's it's not as um, painful or stifling on the inside <coughs> and um, occasionally when I felt stuff like depression um, I will speak specifically about depression because this is this tends to be like more often than not when it happens. Um, occasionally, I will want to like write something, um, or I have this impetus that it feels like there's something in, inside of me that needs to come out, and I think that it really is just the the desire to kind of like equalize whatever pressure it is that I'm feeling inside, um, or just have like if it if it feels like there's if it, like there's this energy build up that needs to be vented somehow. Um, music, art in general, but usually music for me is a way that I can, I can let it vent or I can ease some of the, like turning the valve to let some of the pressure off. Um, and it tends to be music for me because, um, I, it's a lot easier for me to capture and directly transfer emotion into music than it is into poetry. Um. For me, it feels like with music, when I'm trying to, to convey an experience or convey an emotion, it's like transposition. I can take it directly from whatever it is that I'm feeling and put it into music. And it's like it's there's an equate there's an equalness there or equanimity to it um, that it is essentially verbatim from what it is that I feel to what it is that I'm creating, whereas with writing more often than not, there are, um, I feel like there's more steps involved. I mean, obviously, because it's, it's not just turning something into sound, but I have to go through like the language and finding the words and like the tone or whatever it is that fits with whatever it is that I'm feeling. Um, so when I try to write things, uh, or if I, if I try to get my emotions out through writing, um, it usually feels like a translation for me that there's, um, Tone-wise, or like 
at the core, it's the same, but there's something that's lost in putting it into words. Um, and it's usually, it's a lot, usually a lot quicker for me to, to turn it into music, um, which helps when I'm feeling something, I don't have to just sit there and try to like, you know, think of words or think of, think of phrasing. I can just pick up an instrument and just play whatever it is that I'm feeling and it usually works. Um, so like I said, in that respect, I don't, I've never felt like the depression has made me, um, or anything that I felt has made me more creative. It's just in those circumstances and in those, uh, uh, yeah, I guess in those circumstances or in that context, um, I feel like I can, um, I feel like I'm I'm conveying something that I wouldn't necessarily be able to convey otherwise. But it's it's not any bearing on my creativity. It's just it's the um, I guess the context in which the creativity is coming out. Because um, there are more often than not when I'm depressed, I don't want to do anything, like even like create. It just it feels like it's a it puts a damper on like everything of my life, everything that I'm experiencing, all of, all the aspects of my life. <clears throat> and I've definitely never, ever sought out creativity. I mean, I've never sought out depression as a means to be creative or as a means to like, um, like if it happens to me and I can I can make some sort of art out of it, I will do it because it it helps with the process and it helps with just things passing. But I there's never been an an, up, a, um, an experience where I've sought out depression or I've purposely tried to make myself feel something and so that I could write or create art out of it. Um, that feels at least for me personally kind of reckless. Um, and, you know, there's, when I'm depressed, I'm, I don't enjoy the feeling and I don't, I don't like being in that state or even ang like anger is another good one that like, I don't, um, I don't enjoy feeling angry and I don't enjoy, um, the experience of being angry. Um, so I've never ever sought out like, or have tried to make myself angry so that I could write something or write like a poem or music based on it. It's just, you know, if it, if I do get angry and something happens out of it, that, that's great. Um, but it, it always happens that way. It's always like, I feel something. And if this wants to come out like in some creative way, that's okay. I'm going to follow that because I can, it helps me process things. Um, and also in that respect, you know, like I'm, um, My art, um, it helps, like, I, I write poetry and I write music to help me kind of get a sense of the world. It, it's like echolocation. I kind of send things out and it helps me get a sense of where I am. It gets, it helps me get my, helps me establish my bearings. Um, so, um, if I'm going through something and I can make art out of it, it helps me process whatever it is that I'm going through better because it puts it in terms that I like I more readily understand um, 
that, you know, it's like I've been feeling something and it turns out to be like a really slow, heavy, distorted song. I'm like, oh, okay, this, I, these are, this is the term that I can, I can understand it in. Um, but, yeah, um, if that doesn't work for people, um, don't do it, um, I don't know if it will continue to work for me, um, it's just kind of how it is right now, um, but, yeah, I, like, yeah, I don't know, I feel like I, I feel like I kind of lost the thread of that, sorry, the cat keeps opening my door and coming in, um, and she's cute and very distracting, um, but, yeah, I, um, I don't know, it's, it's weird, and I've, I've talked to some people about this, and I guess, I, I don't know, it's worth mentioning since I'm talking about internal things, um, I've always had kind of a, a greater empathy for people that have, on like, on this side of the spectrum, like people who deal with depression, or, you know, like anxiety, or like suicidal tendencies, or whatever, um, I've always, like, always have felt, a, like, a, a more of a connection or more of a kinship with people like that, or more of, like, a, there's a, like, a place in my heart that hurts or is, um, more affected by people that I know that deal with stuff like this. Um, but for the longest time, like, I didn't really, um, I hadn't had any personal experiences along those lines, um. And then starting in undergrad, I kind of had, like, I ran through the gamut of um, every so often gaining another experience of, like, oh, God, that sucked. But now I kind of, I actually know what people are going through. Um, it happened with, um, like, suicidal thoughts, um, anxiety, cutting, depression, um, I think those were, I think those were, that was, those have been the big ones so far. Um, and it's been interesting that like of those, of the, the four, depression has been really the only one that's been like a, uh, maybe not a steady thing, but it's been like, it's definitely like, that's, that's where I'm calibrated towards. Um, and I think so I, I, for me, depression is, like I said, just like a systematic lack of connection. Like you lose connection. I, the way that I view it is like you're, um, you're on a stage and there's other actors and there's the scenery and stuff. And then the lights start going out. So you lose the other actors, you lose the scenery, you lose everything else. And then it's just a spotlight on you. And then the spotlight starts irising in on like, you know, you lose your feet and your head and then your, your legs and then your, like your torso and it keeps getting tighter and tighter right to like the center of you until it gets inside of you and then the light kind of keeps disappearing gradually and gradually. Um, and it's really, really tough in my experience, um, to an extent in my experience. And I, I know, to an extent in my experience, but also just from what I've, what I've talked to other people who were, who've um, suffered from depression. <laughs> that um, like when you're in that state, it's really, really difficult to think 
outside of being in that state. Like it's when you when you've lost those connections, it's really difficult to, to know or to think about what how what you're doing is affecting other people. So I've always been really, really upset when um, like I know people who've been depressed and in response to that, um, like their friends or their family or whoever have said, just like, you know, think about what you're doing to this person, like with your, your tendon, your, like if you're being suicidal or whatever, um, you know, like think, think about how this is affecting other people. And on the one hand, or on like one, that's a terrible thing to say to somebody because you're probably going to make them feel even worse. And two, you know, they can't think about that because they're you know, like they're trying to maintain connection to themselves at that point, I think. And in that respect, um, you, I think that I feel like art, that's like, that's why one of the thing, one of the reasons why art is so important and so vital. And this kind of goes back to what Sam wrote to me in, in her email that, um, like I, I appreciate um, bands that write heavy, depressive stuff. Like Crowbar is a great example of that. They're a New Orleans sludge band. And listening to their stuff feels like, uh, like listening to the lead singer and lead guitarist's struggle with addiction and depression. And it's it's been so vital to me when I'm feeling like that to have something that I can reach out to again, kind of like what I was saying about the external space. It's like something that I can, that feels similar to, to whatever it is that I'm feeling that I can, I can allow the, the pressure of whatever it is that I like the depression that I'm feeling on the inside out. I, I can ease it off a little bit. Um, I think that it's, like I'm, I'm not happy that Kirk had that like felt these things and went through this experience, um, but I I greatly appreciate that he was able to turn it into art, and I appreciate the fact that that art can act as like a searchlight or a little fire that's burning out there in the darkness. I mean, with me specifically with depression, it's always been super beneficial when like the, the lights are closing in and it's just nothing but dark. You see that little glimmer of something and then you can start gaining the light back and you can start gaining those connections again and you can realize that you're, you're not, um, you're actually not alone. Um, oh, wow, I've been, I've been saying, um, a lot, something else to apologize for. Anyway, I, I think that the way that I deal with emotions and the way that I see, uh, the way that I experience them as things, as like weather, essentially, I think in a way, like I, I feel kind of a detachment from the things that I feel. That there's a, when, I, when I'm feeling emotions, there's immediately a level of kind of separation from them that I feel. Whether or not that's healthy, I'm not entirely sure, but that's just kind of... I think that that's the way that it's really always been for me. Um, I definitely, it's definitely been the way, that way for me since I've been cognizant of it. But I think in that respect, depression is e a little bit easier for me to deal with because 
I know that in the throes of depression, it's really, really hard to hold on. And this is kind of why I brought up the whole the lack of the lack of connection. It's really hard to maintain um, a stance outside of the depression. Like when you're dealing with it, you feel like it's never going to end, and it's terrible, and it's it puts you in this horrible place. And it's really hard to hold on to the fact that you, like, if you've been depressed before, like you've made it through it, and it's it's ended or it's at least lessened. Um, like you, it's it's so hard to hold on to that. And I think in some respects, for me, it's a little bit. It might be a little bit easier, or it might be why depression doesn't hit me as severely as it does other people. Um, like my brother suffered from it tremendously when we were younger. Um, <coughs> he might still. Um, that when depression happens to me, there's a that immediate sort of disconnect. So even though I'm I'm in the depression and I'm I'm feeling like I'm losing the contact, there's still that part of me, um, kind of like on the outside of stuff that's watching it happen um and it i i have that tether or at least i can i can maintain the the thought or the the state that this is going to end like it this is not i will not feel like this for the rest of my life um that this that this is like I felt like this before and it's ended and I will f I'm feeling like this now and it will end and it's just I have to just persevere through it um which is kind of the way that I feel about or the way that I guess I deal with being physically sick um if it's nothing really life-threatening like when I had the flu that was kind of um it w caught me super off guard but I mean I just slept essentially from a Friday afternoon till Monday morning um I mean, I took a lot of um, Dayquil, and my partner was here with me, keeping me company, because she was also sick with the flu. Um, but, you know, like, if I have a cold or something, it's like, I just kind of just deal with it. I know that I'm going to feel shitty for, like, a day or two, and then I'll, I won't feel shitty anymore. And that's kind of how I deal with depression, or at least with, with emotions that, I, that are things that I don't really want to feel or I'm not keen on feeling I just know it's like okay well I'm gonna feel all tangled up on the inside for you know oh let's call it a day or eh, maybe two hours and then it'll stop um, and I don't know I don't I've also also dealt I've been trying to, to deal with like I've the things that I've gone through are not nearly as severe as things that I know like friends of mine have gone through um and I don't you know I don't want mental illness or emotional issues to be like a, a pissing con you know a pissing contest that oh I've had it so much worse than you because like I the things that I've gone through have affected me sometimes pretty profoundly um and I don't mean to to negate or to um, diminish things that anybody else has gone through. <coughs> but I also, like, I, I need to acknowledge, at least for myself, I mean, if only for myself, it's like, yeah, I went through this shit and it, it fucked me up uh, for a while. Or maybe even still, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I've gone through things that have 
uh, irreversibly change me. That's like I'm a different person now because I've gone through this thing and I, 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 I can't ever go back to who I was because I've had this experience. Um, so, I don't know. I, if there are any psychologists or therapists out there listening and they I think I'm not potentially dealing with stuff as well as I could be, let me know. Um, I, if I'm not, I would like to get better. Um, things are, things are going okay, I guess, so far. I don't know. Um, I, I, so in, in part, I, I think that I've mentioned what my internal landscape looks like. I feel like I, I did when I was talking with Shreya, but I think in part of that, um, like part of the manifestation of just like the huge amounts of internal space that I feel on the inside could be, a, or the way that it manifests in emotions is that it just, there's that distance. Um, I don't know. I don't really know why or how I started viewing emotions like that. I think it really was in response to um, reading Letters to a Young Poet. And not that Rilke says anything along those lines, it's just I think I was reading it and I got this kind of sense that like emotions work in me like um, weather works outside. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so the, the last thing, and I guess I'll just mention it briefly because I'm getting kind of hungry and... I want to go watch Mel Brooks with my partner um, for New Year's. That, uh, so like I said, I um, I started out as as a musician, right? I, as a banjo player, I guess. I don't think I was a musician quite quite then, or quite yet. Um, but I don't know. Like I. Music has always been my go-to thing to emote through. Um, I occasionally emote through 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 poetry or through visuals. Um, I've actually been getting into Rothko a whole lot lately because like he it feels like he paints emotional landscapes, which are great for me to just kind of sit in front of and contemplate. Um, but music has been always something that I, like the first thing that I turn to if I'm feeling something, I will try to find um, a song or a band or something that um, that feels that I, that I feel feels the way that I feel if that makes sense um, and like I said before, I music feels it's, for whatever reason for me, it's a lot easier it's almost effortless to trans to get some sort of emotion that i'm feeling into music um which is i don't know it's it's it's, it's interesting that i've kind of staked my um most of my academic career on writing and being a poet when more often than not i kind of don't want to write words i want to just write music um and I've been really, I've been trying to figure out a ways, different ways to combine my poetry and my, my music. Because um, I don't sing. I mean, I do sing, but I, I don't think I sing very well. So I've very rarely recorded myself singing. Although I'm working on an EP right now that will have, I'm planning on covering a Sufjan Stevens song and I'm going to sing. Um, 
So we will see how that goes. If I sound crappy, it will not make it onto the album. Or it might, and I'll just deal with the fact that it sounds crappy. Um, but I also, I cannot uh, sing and play music at the same time. Um, I can really only do one. I don't know if it's a thing that if I practiced uh, doing, I could get better at. I don't really have any desire to, so I think that that's probably a mitigating factor. Um, but I, because of that, um, like when I was playing music with my brother, we were an instrumental band. Um, the vast majority of what I do solo-wise is instrumental. Um, I am currently in a band right now that we are trying to navigate how to do lyrics. Um, oh, like, like, like how, to, how to do lyrics and how to do vocals. Um, even though I, I, keep, <laughs> I keep throwing out that we, we could easily be an instrumental band. Um, but I, I love, I absolutely love instrumental bands. And um, I've been thinking, at our last band practice, I, I mentioned this, and I've I thought a little bit more about it, that um, I've definitely seen a lot of, or I've encountered a lot of bands that are musically kind of meh. Like, they're, like, boring or just kind of, like, meh. And it's the the lyrics that seem to, to be the kind of like the thing, um, and I recognize that that a lot of bands use the music as sort of a like a backdrop or a landscape, or maybe not landscape, but as like a support or foundation for the lyrics. Um, oftentimes, like the lyrics really aren't you know at least in my opinion they're not like. Uh, I don't want to say good. Um, they're not super interesting to me. Um, I'm not a fan of, uh, of people who rhyme and people rhyme a lot in music um, because it's a part of like the whole oral tradition and you know like oral storytelling and song smithy or whatever. Um, but like. So in, in that respect, you can have a band in which the members are, you know, okay musicians. Um, but if you have a good lyricist and, like, a good presence um, or performing whatever, um, you can be pretty popular. More, I would say more often than not, more popular than instrumental bands, which is odd to me because I don't think that you can be an instrumental band unless everybody in the band is fucking phenomenal. Um... Or a band in which everyone is a musician and the lyrics are used, like vocals are used as if they are, or implemented as if they are another instrument. Um, they don't take precedence. They're not overpowering. They're just, like, if if it works in certain places, it works in certain places. Um, Mogwai is a pretty good example, I think, of that, where they are, predominantly, uh, they are a predominantly instrumental band, but they occasionally have lyrics. Um usually in some sort of Gaelic language. I think that they're... I want to say that the band is Scottish, and I think that they sing in some, like, old old Gaelic occasionally. I They sing occasionally in English, too. Um, but in that respect, like, singing in a, in a language that's... Um, I imagine, like, a lot of people don't understand um, gives it... Like, it, it breaks the lyrics down into just a kind of musical quality like I listen to a lot of Japanese bands 
um, and I don't speak Japanese. So in that respect, it's like I know that they're saying things, but the the vocals become just part of another, like they become just another instrument to me. It's like it's just sounds that are arranged in a way that fits with the rest of the music. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I I. I don't know if it's like if lyrics make stuff more accessible to people. Um, I don't know if it's because I and I've thought about like a lot of pop songs and stuff too, or well, maybe not pop, but more popular music, things that would be on the radio and stuff. And a lot of it sounds really boring to me. Um, and I've also been thinking about like the line between meditative and boring music. Um, because like repetition is used in both and i'm not entirely sure what makes repetition boring in some of the songs that i've heard and yet really meditative or contemplative in other songs that i've heard um <coughs> i'm doing kind of my own little personal research into it but i mean not super extensively um but at least not extensively right now. That might be an interesting project to do for a grant, or if I ever go back to school, would be a, a good like term paper or something. But <coughs> um, I realize that with a lot of the more popular commercial stuff, it sounds boring and heavily just like overly repetitive to me because the point of the music is to get people to move or to dance, and you don't want things that are overly complicated. Um, like you don't want a, a heavy, heavily syncopated, um, weird type signature as a, as a beat for a song that someone's trying to dance to because more often than not, they're not going to be able to do it. Especially if you're playing it at like a club or playing it, you know, I don't know, somewhere where like the average person would just want to dance. Um, So, and it's, it's been interesting to, to think about that as, like, the intent behind the music. That, like, what like what are you trying to get people to do when they listen to it? And I've thought about this with, in relation, or in regard to my poetry as well. Um, you know, like, what, what is the intent? Like, what, what do you want people's reaction to be? Or how do you want people to react when they encounter your art? Um... And in that respect, like I've, at least for my poetry, I've made it a pretty conscious decision to not uh, submit to uh, literary magazines or literary journals or um, kind of any of that, which if I ever wanted to be a teacher, um, I think would probably hurt me a little bit because, you know, you need to have a strong quote unquote publication history. But um, I really don't want people to encounter my poems as just as just one-offs, um, where I have no control over what comes before or what comes after them, um, like what font they're in, like how they're, like what, what they look like on the page. Um, I like to control that. And I, with bookmaking and with publishing, I, I can control that because I, I want, I want to control it or I want to have control over it because I, I want everything that I do when I make books to work towards a very particular, um, coherent, cohesive experience. 
you know, I want the font color or like the, the cover design and color to, to match with the insides and the internal layout to match with the tone of the writing, um, to match with the size and the shape of the book. I want all of it to work together. Um, and I, I put a lot of consideration and I put a lot of attention into making sure that they all, all of that works together. Um, and, um, you know, with readings and stuff, I know that I've harped on them before that I don't, like, I don't enjoy doing the traditional reading because, again, that's not how I want people to experience my writing. I want it, I want them to, to have the book and have, like, the, the totality of the vessel, like, the physical vessel that, that it's going to be in because that's how I prefer people to, to experience it. And I've been thinking about with music as well, um, like, not only what response do you want people to have to your music? Like, do you want them to just sit there and think about them? Do you want it, about it? Do you want them to get up and dance? Like, how, like where do you, do you want them to feel it internally in a, um, like, an intellectual way or internally in a physical way that will then become external? <coughs> um... Also, like, how, how do you want to perform it? Um, like, I saw Sufjan Stevens, oh, God, I guess it was earlier this year, maybe it was last year, um, at the Meyerhoff Opera House in Baltimore. Um, and he was on a stage down, like, I was up on, like, the, the mezzanine level. But, I, like, everyone was sitting. It's, it's, it was an all-seated show. Which is great for me because I could just sit there and absorb the music. Um, I've been to, you know, like most concert venues, it's like standing room. Um, which, you know, I could kind of give or take, or like take or leave. Um, I typically don't, like when I went, when I go see bands, I typically will just stand there almost um, unmoving because I just, I want to absorb the music. Like I... I deal with music, right? I experience it eternal, internally on an emotional level. And I just want to sit there and just like take in and absorb what it is that's, that's happening around me. Um, but you know, like other bands want people to dance and they want to have room for people to get up and like move and to do stuff. Um, but I've, I've been thinking about like if when I, if I ever perform on a solo capacity, like, how do I want the show to go? Because same, similarly with my, with my writing, I, with my music, I want people to just, like, sit there and listen to it and take it in internally um, and process it on an emotional level. Um, and I don't really want it to be about me as the musician performing the music. I want it to be just about the music. And I, I, I think that that's probably why I, I don't like reading my my poems or doing readings because I feel like it puts way too much emphasis on me and I don't want that emphasis to be on me I want the emphasis to be on just the work um so I've thought about like in performing either doing like a, a show with all the the lights like dark, or at least the stage just like dark except for a couple of highlights <coughs> so that people are forced to just deal with the music um 
I've thought about performing behind like a one of like the Japanese room dividers. Um, again, just so it's just the music in the performance happening and not the music as the performance instead of me, the performer. Um, I mean, in that respect, there's probably needs to be some like visuals or something that happen. Um, I don't know, but yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. I didn't really have anything a whole lot that I wanted to say about music. Um, and I already mentioned the kind of the big parts of it while I was talking about the, the other internal stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like whenever I ask people what they think, um, nobody ever responds. Although I don't know if I've ever made a direct, you know, like email me or make a comment. Um, but I guess why the hell not? Um, like how for listeners, um, either make a comment or email me. Um, I think my email is up on the, the, in like the, the page description. But like, how do how do you like reading or experiencing poetry, and how do you how do you prefer experiencing music? Do, would you rather listen to it by yourself? Do you like going to shows? Um, I find whenever I go to like a show, um, either like a uh, like a concert or a theater production or like a reading or something, I typically listen with my eyes closed, which. In, uh, I guess in some ways defeats the point of going to actually see somebody um, but yeah I don't know I don't know why I do it it might probably the same reason why I look people in the mouth instead of looking at them in the eye um, but yeah like what how do you how do you want how do you enjoy experiencing art specifically performative stuff um, like music or like poetry when it is performed um, or what would be your ideal way of, of experiencing like a band or a poem or what, does it change per band or per, or per writer? <coughs> like, would you want to read, um, like, would you just want to read a Mary Oliver poem, but you'd want to hear Lee Young Lee read his poetry? Um, or would you rather get up and dance for toe and then just sit there quietly for Asian Kung Fu Generation? Um, let me know if anyone's interested in, in letting me know, let me know. And I might do like a, uh, addendum recap if enough people respond. Um, but I think that's a, about it for me. Um, I'm hungry. I would like to shower because I feel gross. I've been sitting in bed pretty much all day. Um, happy new, I wish everyone a happy new year. Um, the holiday specifically, um, in general for 2017, it's going to, 2017 is going to be rough, I think for a lot of people. Um, but like, hold on to, hold on to the things that make you happy. Hold on to things that make you healthy and strong and, um, excited and motivated and do that stuff. Like throw yourself into the things that, that make you feel more connected or more more of yourself or more um more in possession of yourself or more full or more like you you occupy more of yourself um because we need more of that and especially in 2017 we're going to need a shit ton of that um 
I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I do know about that. I don't know about other stuff. Um, there's a, there's encyclopedias of things that I don't know. Um, but I would like to, I actually have a sign off. I was thinking about this earlier in the week of how I wanted to sign off for this, for this episode. Um, so I would like to share two life mottos that I have. Um, one of which I picked up from a book, uh, called, uh, Whitechapel Gods. Um, and the other one, um, I developed, I don't know, oh, because of my wrapping, how I wrap things in the shop, when we have to ship things out, I have a very distinctive wrapping style. <coughs> so then my two mottos are this, um, hopefully you'll be able to use them in conjunction with each other, um, hopefully you'll be able to use them in 2017 and beyond, um, but take this to heart. One, there is always a way. Always. And two, if you can't do something good, do it memorably. And with that, I will talk to all of y'all in the new year. <laughs>